particularly if you're new or visiting, it is great to have you with us. Well, I want to begin this morning with a story about a name, man called John Newton. Uh, why should you care about John Newton, a man who lived in the 18th century, a humble parish priest, a man with only two years of formal education? Well, you should care about him because he was, like you and me, a sinner saved by grace. And if you don't recognize the name, then you will recognize him for the song that he wrote, the most famous hymn in the English, English language, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. And this hymn has captured the imagination of so many people. It has almost universal appeal. But for Christians, it is especially beautiful, not just about because of the glorious truths, but because of the story that lies behind it. Because Amazing Grace is the story of John Newton, a wretch, a person utterly undeserving of God's love and grace to him. This was a man whose life had spiralled out of control. John Newton lost his mother at six years old, was raised by an irreligious sailor father uh, and irreligious stepmother. He went to school for just two years before heading to sea when he was 11. Imagine that. At 18, he was pressed into the Royal Navy as a midshipman and began a life of depravity and debauchery. He wrote of himself, I was capable of anything. I had not the least fear of God before my eyes, nor, so far as I remember, the least sensibility of conscience. On shore leave, he deserted. He was caught, he was imprisoned, he was whipped, demoted, uh, and somehow he managed to escape death. I'm not quite sure how, because that's usually what happened. But this guy was so rotten, so bad, that when he was just 20 years of age, his shipmates were so fed up with him that they literally deserted him on an island in Sierra Leone, in West Africa, where he was imprisoned for about a year and a half, two years, and became a virtual slave. So bad was his conditions that actually the African slaves there took pity on him and smuggled him rations. Upon being rescued, he then had an experience with God on the way home. And you would think that at this moment where he, he, that he might have turned his life around, but he didn't. He then took a job as a captain of a slave trader and for six years participated in one of the greatest atrocities in the modern world, the transatlantic slave trade. If ever there was a person who did not deserve God's love, who was unworthy, it was John Newton. If ever there was a person who thought that perhaps they had fallen too far, perhaps they had exhausted God's patience and love for them, it was John Newton. And so when this man grasped the gospel and wrote these words, he meant them. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. But Newton was not just concerned with his past, he was concerned with his present as well. Like us, he struggled with that voice inside his head telling him that he did not deserve God's love 
that his past sins were too great, that his current sins were somehow disqualifying, that he would disgrace the position that God had called him to. I wonder, brothers and sisters, if you have thoughts like this. Do you think that maybe your sin is too great for Jesus to forgive? That you are the wrong person in the wrong place? That if people knew the real new you, the thoughts going around in your head, the doubts, the fears, then the gospel would look weak and pathetic. That you would let the team down. That you might let Jesus down. Well, friends, if you have thoughts like this, then this message this morning is for you. And you are not on your own when you think like this. Paul, the apostle, had these thoughts. Timothy had these thoughts. John Newton had these thoughts. Ben has these thoughts. I have these thoughts. We all do. But here's the thing. Actually, the biggest threat to your faith doesn't come from the outside, but from the in. It comes from these whispered thoughts in the dark of night. It is these thoughts that have the potential to shipwreck your faith. But there is a beautiful and wonderful comfort in this passage this morning because even as those thoughts roll around our heads, this passage reminds us that we are unworthy, but that is the very point. Our unworthiness should push us back to the foot of the cross where we see the love and grace of God poured out for us like an everlasting fountain that never goes dry. Paul, in this passage, gives Timothy three things to do when we begin to doubt, and we're going to spend some time exploring them, to look around at the community around us, to look up at the cross, and to look inside and see that our weakness is in fact our strength. So keep your Bibles open to 1 Timothy 1, 12 to 20, and let me pray as we begin. Father, we want to thank you for bringing us here this morning. We all come with our struggles, our burdens, our demons, those thoughts in our minds. But Father, I pray that you would help us this morning to look out from ourselves, to look around that we are part of a community of broken people, look up at the cross at what our Saviour Jesus has done for us. And Father, I pray that this would give us great hope to go into the world again knowing this truth of the gospel. Pray this, Father, in your Son's name. Amen. Well, our passage today begins with pastoral concern. Paul, the apostle, is concerned for Timothy, who is his apprentice, who has taken over the new and fledgling church in Ephesus. You can imagine the situation. A young man, inexperienced but eager, full of enthusiasm, but yet to weather those storms of life that really make a person. He's thrown into a church plant that is young and vulnerable, in a city that actively hates Christians. Ephesus is an economic powerhouse. It controls the trade in the Mediterranean, but it is also the home of the goddess Artemis. In fact, that combination of a powerful economy and religious fervor had led Paul to nearly lose his life in a riot last time that he was there. Because not only was Christianity claiming that Artemis was a false god, it was also impacting the tourism and souvenir trade that drove the local economy. But interestingly, it's not these external factors that were worrying Paul. It was the internal factors that were worrying Paul. It was Timothy's heart 
that concerned Paul. It was Timothy's faith. And we get a taste of Paul's concern at the end of the passage, where Paul pretty much describes his rationale in writing this passage. Have a look with me in verse 18. Verse 18 to 20. Timothy, my son, I am giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well holding on to faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected, rejected and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to the faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. Paul here is concerned for Timothy's faith. He wants him to be sure of the truths of the gospel and not to be overwhelmed by the truths that can come from both Sorry, by the lies that can come both from the outside, but often most devastatingly from the inside. Those thoughts and whispers that say you are not worthy. You are not good enough. You are the weak link. And Paul wants Timothy to have confidence in order that he might fulfill the role that God has placed Timothy in. And the first thing that Paul does is use himself as an example. Read with me there in verse 12. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. How does this help Timothy? Well, verse 13. Because Paul goes on, even though I was a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. You see, Paul knows what it is like to have these doubts because if ever there was a sinner who was unworthy of the gospel, it was Paul. We had part of his story read out before. It would have been almost impossible to find a man less worthy of the gospel than Paul. Just like John Newton, Paul was a man so far from God. Paul was consumed with bitterness and hate. So incensed was he by the message of Jesus that he made it his personal mission to actively hunt down Christians and have them imprisoned, beaten, and murdered. And Paul was not simply misguided or apathetic towards Jesus. He hated Jesus and made it his personal vendetta to follow down anyone who followed him. Paul did not simply have wrong thoughts. He exulted in these thoughts and acted upon them. There was nothing in Paul that made him worthy. There was no redeeming feature in the Apostle Paul. Paul was like an apple that had rotted completely to the core. He was a person where the church probably would have caught on fire if he had walked inside. He was unclean, unworthy, and he did not deserve God's love. And yet, Paul can write, the grace of our Lord was poured out abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus, poured out on Paul, a wretch and a sinner, a criminal and a corrupter. I don't know what words you use to describe yourself in your darkest moments when you look at yourself and the shame at who you are threatens to overwhelm you, but whatever those words are, insert them in here. This is what Paul was. And yet it was this Paul 
that God chose to pour out his love and grace and mercy upon. And here is how Paul sums it all up. In fact, he's probably quoting here one of the earliest summaries of the gospel, our memory verse, 1 Timothy 1.15. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. If you want to know what the gospel is, this is it. If you want to know what Christianity is all about, it is these few words. Christ Jesus came into the world to save those who deserved it. No. Christ Jesus came into the world to save those who are worthy of it. No. Christ Jesus came into the world to save those who are okay, those who are really working hard at being good, those who have made a substantial progress in the right direction. No. No and no. Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners, of whom Paul says, I am the worst. But you might say, I know that. I was a sinner. But then I was saved, and now that I am saved, I should be good. Or at the very least, I should be better than how I feel. But notice something very important here. Paul does not say, I was the worst. He says, I am the worst. Paul is not just describing a past event. He is describing the present reality. I am the worst of sinners. And yet this saying is true. And all the more true because of his sin. Christ came into the world to save sinners. Remember, Paul is writing this with the intention of bolstering the faith of Timothy. Timothy Timothy is a person established in his faith, and he's writing this in order to keep Timothy's faith from being shipwrecked as he does the work of the Lord. But how exactly is this to give comfort to Timothy? How is Paul's sin and unworthiness a comfort and assurance to Timothy's faith? Well, listen very carefully to Paul's next comment in verse 16. Paul says this, But for that very reason, that is Paul's sin, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Let me read that to you again. Listen carefully. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. This is an astonishing thing to say. What is Paul saying? He's saying his sin and his failings are themselves testimony to Jesus' patience, mercy, and grace poured out upon the cross for those who do not believe. When others see, when other sinners see a sinner saved, this gives them hope. Your sin Your failings are the very things that God uses to bring others to him. Because in your sin and your failings, the power of the cross is proclaimed. Far from being a hindrance or a frustration to God, it is the very point. 
Jesus saved you while you were still a sinner. He saved you while you were at your worst. While you were disheveled, ugly, deformed, and broken, God saw through the mess, the muck, and knew the potential for beauty, and his heart broke for you. And he came and he picked you up from the gutter and he claimed you as his own. And he wrapped his cloak of righteousness around you. He has put rings on your fingers. He has seated you in his house as his son and daughter. The adoption papers have been signed. It has been done. You are his. And he loves you and keeps loving you as the most precious thing that he owns. But friends, as those glimpses of your old self keep peeking through, it just serves to demonstrate to the world just how much Jesus has done for you. Just how much Jesus loves you. And maybe, just maybe, the world thinks that if Jesus can love someone like you, then he can love someone like them as well. How do you know that Jesus loves you? Because he has chosen to save you while you were still a sinner. And there is nothing that can take that away from you. Your sin, brothers and sisters, does not cause Jesus to love you less, but rather to magnify his glory. Your sin does not detract from the gospel. It is a demonstration of the gospel in action to those around you. And so Paul, having described this incredible truth, the heart of what Christians believe, says this in verse 17. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honour and glory forever and ever. Amen. And so this is the counsel that Paul has given to Timothy to shore up his faith on how not to shipwreck his faith, how to deal with those thoughts that whisper, you are not good enough, you are not worthy, that you are inadequate to the task that is in front of you. Three things I said, Paul says to Timothy. Here is the first one. Firstly, Paul says, if you are struggling with these thoughts and these doubts, remember my example. If ever there was someone who was inadequate, who should have been disqualified, it was the Apostle Paul. And friends, 2,000 years on, we have not just the example of Paul, but of so many who have gone before us, of so many who walk this path alongside us. That's why I started with the story of John Newton. John Newton, a man who did not deserve the gospel. And there are countless others. And there are people sitting in this very room, the family of God that has been placed around you. This is not a perfect group of people, is it? but how encouraging to know that we are all walking this road together. If you're feeling discouraged, Paul says, don't look in at yourself, look around. Look through history, look at the community that God has put around you. There are so many broken, inadequate people here, and that gloriously is the point. Look around. Secondly, Paul says, remember the gospel. Look up at the cross. The gospel is not, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Because if it was, we would all be in an enormous amount of trouble. The gospel is, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. So how do you put this into action? 
Well, because whenever you have these thoughts in your mind, whenever you have these whispers, what do you need to do? Well, you need to stand up boldly. You need to look the accuser directly in the face and you say, that is exactly right. I am unworthy. I am not good enough. I am the worst of sinners. But look up here at this cross because it is at its foot that I stand. And look how great my Savior is. Look at Jesus and all that he has done for me. Look at Jesus and you will know why I have nothing to fear and why I can stand with confidence. For Christ came to save sinners of whom I am the worst. John Newton's final words were these. And if ever there was a secret for the contented Christian life, it is in these words. My memory is nearly gone, he says, but I remember two things. That I am a great sinner and that Christ is a great saviour. Finally, look around, look up at the cross. And only then do we look inside. Because only now, having done those things, can you look in at yourself, see your weakness, and realize that your weakness is, in fact, testament to the patience and love of Jesus. Your weakness is, in fact, your greatest strength. Because just think about it for a moment. Our whole world is driven by a desire to be perfect. All the advertising and marketing that you see every time you look at your phone, you walk outside, you turn your TV on, is aimed at showing you what you should be like and reminding you that you are not that. We live in a world where these internal battles are constantly stoked and flared by an industry bent on exploiting your vulnerabilities in order to make money. That's the world that we live in which means that your friends and your co-workers are not looking for another perfect person to compare themselves to and so feel bad about themselves. What they need to see is a broken and inadequate person who has found hope. A person who can accept their weakness because their hope is in the one who has saved them. Your weakness, friends, is actually your best evangelistic strategy. And so remember, as you go out into this week, God has placed you in whatever position that you are in. And he has placed you there because of your weakness and your sin, not despite it. And he has done so that others might see the power of Christ Jesus in you to save sinners. And if you can be saved, well, maybe, just maybe, they might think that it is possible for them as well to have this hope. And so let me finish with words from John Newton. Listen to this quote. John Newton says this, I am not what I ought to be, uh, how perf imperfect and deficient. I am not what I wish to be considering my privileges and opportunities. I'm not what I wish to be. God knows my heart, knows I wish to be like him. I'm not what I hope to be, to be like him and to see him as he is. But I am not what I once was, a child of sin and slave of the devil. Though not all these, I think that I can say truly with the apostle, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Amazing grace. How sweet the sounds 
that saves a wretch like me. Amen. Friends, we're going to continue to reflect on this by singing that song. The words from John Newton, Amazing Grace. Band, come forward and we will sing.